Well, turning your Bibles to Esther chapter 3, we're continuing, of course, our study of this Old Testament history book, and we're seeing the nation of Israel some 500 years before the birth of Jesus Christ. They're living in the Persian Empire. God raises up a Jewish girl, a young Jewish girl, to become queen of the empire. Why? And, and we look at it and say, isn't that out of all of, the, all of those young women that, that the king picked out, brought them in, out of all of those, Esther was chosen. And we go, that is just so amazing. Why? God is working everything. He's working behind all of the scenes, and he's going to use this to save his people from destruction. This morning, we meet the villain of the story. His name is Haman. Uh, let me just tell you this, that the Jewish people, there's a feast called the Feast of Purim, which is based off this book. Jewish people celebrate it every year. It's almost like a, a Halloween, because what they do is at the Feast of Purim, they all dress up in different clothes, different outfits, and they give out candy, and then they go to a place, and someone reads the book of Esther. And as they read the book of Esther, every time the name Mordecai is mentioned, they shout and cheer. And every time the name of Haman is mentioned, they hiss and boo. All the way through, and they do this every year. And so the Feast of Purim is, comes from the book of Esther, and we'll talk more about it when we get toward the end of the book as we go through it. We meet this man. He's an evil man. He's a man of pride and ego. He is called the enemy of the Jews. His plan and desire is to wipe out every Jewish person. And you could say, well, you know, there have been people trying to do that, but what's the big deal? If all the Jewish people were wiped out at this time, where would the Messiah come from? Where would Jesus come from? How would we have the Savior of the world? As we go through this passage this morning, I want you to think about several things. Number one, the value of life. How important is a person? How important is a life? Number two, are we disciples of Jesus Christ? Because we'll talk about it just a little bit. And then we're going to see God's sovereign providence and protection in our lives and in his people's lives, and we'll see how it fits together. Well, most of you know I have a twin sister. Her name's Judy. Her husband is named Gary. They live in Memphis. They've lived there since we were both, I think, 17 or 18 years old. They've lived there. Several years ago, my brother-in-law, Gary, was working in a furniture store in Memphis, and it was right at the very, they were about to close, and a man came in and put a gun right in his face and said, give me your money. And Gary pulled out his billfold and in his billfold, it was $20. That was it. And to think about it, that Gary could have been killed for $20. How important is a life? How much is a life worth? Today, it seems that life's pretty cheap. If you look on television, there's a death. They average about one every thir minute and 30. We're so used to seeing people killed in TV and movies that we're no longer sensitive to it. I always remember the, the movie Little Big Man had Dustin Hoffman in it, and he thought he, he was supposed to be a gunfighter, but he really wasn't. He'd never seen anybody shot or anything, and he was hanging around Wild Bill Hickok, and Wild Bill Hickok killed somebody, and the guy fell down, and Little Big Man went, that man's really dead. And see, in our culture, we go, oh, yeah, people die all the time. Yeah, yeah, we got games that just shoot hundreds and thousands of people, and they estimate that a child from age 3 to 12 sees over 30,000 murders on television. How important is life? This morning we're going to see Esther in Esther chapter 3. Next slide, I think. We're going to see the Persian king making a decree to destroy an entire race of people. And he doesn't even blink an eye. In fact, he doesn't even ask who they are. When we read the passage a while ago, Haman said there's a, there's a people group in the kingdom that it's not really to our advantage to keep them here. 
And he goes, okay, here, take my signet ring, kill them all. He doesn't even ask who they are. How important is a life? As we begin this morning, let me remind you where we are. The book of Esther is the story of the Jewish people who did not go back home after the captivity. You remember the, the Jewish people were taken off to captivity in Babylon for 70 years, and then God raised up the Medo-Persian Empire. There was a guy named Darius the Mede and Cyrus the Persian. They came together, they conquered the Babylonians, and when they came to power, God had put in Cyrus's heart to send the Jewish people back to their promised land. And he made a decree that all Jews would go back, rebuild their own temple, go back home, and he would even pay for it, and he did. And the book of Ezra and Nehemiah are the stories of the Jewish people who went back home, but the book of Esther is the story of the Jewish people who didn't go back home. In fact, a large number of Jewish people stayed in the Persian Empire. And this is the book of Esther. This is the story. And Esther, the beautiful young Jewish girl, has become queen over the Persian Empire. In God's providence, she was chosen out of all of the young virgins in the kingdom. And we see his providence and protection. In, in fact, chapter 2, verse 17, it says that the king loved her. She is the one who he found favor. He was taking a girl, girl at a time, bringing them in, and the next day they would be sent off to the harem. Never to have a life. When you looked at this thing and you say, gosh, wouldn't it be great to be in the beauty contest? No, it wouldn't be great to be in the beauty contest. You're in the beauty contest, you become part of the king's harem, and he goes and puts you in a room, and if he never calls for you again, he never calls for you again, and you never get married, you never have a family, you never have anything. And it just so happens out of all of these girls, Esther is picked. Now what she did, and if you notice in chapter 2, verse 20, it says this. Esther had not yet made known her kindred or her people, even as Mordecai had commanded her. For Esther did what Mordecai told her as she had done under his care. Now Mordecai was her cousin, but he was older, and he was raising her as if he was her father. Her mother and daddy had died. And she obeyed him. He told her, don't tell anybody you're Jewish. And when she was in the contest, she didn't tell anybody. When she got picked as the queen, she didn't tell anybody. And if you came to King Ahasuerus and said, what's your, wife, your, your queen's background? He'd say, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. What difference does it make? Well, we're going to see it's going to make a difference. We saw at the end of chapter 2 that Mordecai heard of a plot to kill the king. He told Esther. Esther told the king. And those men that were going to kill the king were put to death. And it was written in the chronicles, written in the record. But Mordecai didn't get any reward. And you'd think that if you save the king's life, they might give you a medal. I mean, or they'd give you a bunch of money. Or they would put a plaque up and say, this man saved the king's life. They'd do something for him. Nothing happened. And sometimes in our lives... Something, something happens, and we, and we never get any credit or anything. Something bad happens, we go, man. Something good happens, we go, what, what? I mean, so Mordecai saves the king's life, nothing. As we start chapter 3, five years have passed. So Esther's been the queen for five years. Look what we find. Chapter 3, verse 1. After these events, King Ahasuerus promoted Haman. He was the son of Hadmeth Adai, the Agite, and advanced him and established him as far as his authority over all the princes who were with him. Now, after this time has passed, it's going to be five years later, that the king, for some reason, Ahasuerus, promotes this man named Haman. Now, when you study this book, you're going to look at Haman and you're going to go, uh, why would anybody promote this guy? What we find out, he's very, very wealthy and he's a very powerful man. And so what the king probably said was, okay, this man has got a lot of money. He's I could use him. So I'm going to promote him. And he promotes him above everybody else. 
So you got the king, and then you got Haman, who's number two in the whole kingdom, out of all the princes. And there's really no reason given why he's promoted. Now, have you thought about the contrast? Look at this. Uh, Mordecai saves the king's life. He gets nothing. Haman, as far as we know, does nothing, but he's promoted to second place in the kingdom. Sometimes we say, that's not fair. Guess what? There are a lot of things that aren't fair. In this world, there are a lot of things not fair, but one day, our great God and Savior is going to right all the wrongs. He's going to do it all. He's going to line it up. But as we go through this life, there are a lot of things that aren't fair. We could say, this isn't fair. And if we are Mordecai, we'd say, that doesn't seem right to me. I mean, I saved the king's life. I don't get anything. This guy, we don't even know what he does. He's number two on the list. I should at least got something. What we say to Mordecai is, just wait. Just trust God. In all the events of your life, you just have to trust God no matter how it looks. So look what happened. All the king's servants who were at the king's gate bowed down and paid homage to Haman for the king had commanded concerning him. But Mordecai neither bowed down nor paid homage. Now listen, when this guy came out and he's number two and he would say, I'm number two. And as he walks out, everybody goes, oh, you're, you're, the, you're the greatest. You know, you are the greatest. All the king's servants were at the king bowed down, paid homage to him. King commanded it. He said, listen, this is guy's number two. I want everybody paying homage. I want everybody bowing down to him. Now, this had nothing to do with worship. They weren't saying he was a god or anything. They were just saying, look, because of his position, number two in the kingdom, I expect everybody to bow down. But, notice the end of the verse, but Mordecai neither bowed down nor paid homage. See, to bow down was not worship but respect. The king commanded it, but Mordecai didn't do it. Why? Mordecai? Mordecai didn't bow down. Why? Was Mordecai showing pride? Was Mordecai saying, I don't bow down to this guy. I mean, I'm the one who saved the king's life. I don't even know who this guy is. I'm sure not bowing down to him. Or was it that he didn't respect the guy, didn't know it? Or was it saying, I'm, I'm Jewish, and as a Jew, I don't bow down to anyone. Does he disobey the king's command? Is Mordecai disobeying the king's command? Well, let me tell you, the answer is yeah. And why is he doing it? I don't know. We're going to see in a minute. We're going to see what he says. Think about our relationship to the government. What if the government tells you to do something? You supposed to obey the government? Romans 13, verses 1 and 2 says, Obey the laws of the government. They're there for a reason. Now, one thing we know for sure from the Scripture, that any time the government tells us to do something that is contrary to the Scripture, we can disobey. Okay. There may be laws on the books that we don't like, but if they don't affect us, that's fine. But when the government tells us to do something that we know is wrong from Scripture, we don't have to obey that. Now, there are consequences, possibly. So look what happened. The king's servants who were at Mordecai's gate said to Mordecai, Why are you transgressing the, the king's command? Why aren't you bowing down? Why, why aren't you bowing down? Because, you know, the, the laws of the government, are you supposed to bow down? So look what he says is when they had spoken to him daily that he would not even listen to them, they went and told Haman to see whether Mordecai's reason would stand, for he told him he was a Jew. Now they talked to Mordecai, and they said, Mordecai, you're not bound down when the guy comes through, and the king said everybody's supposed to bow down, and we're all bound down, but you're not bound down. You're making us look bad. You're not bound down. Why aren't you bound down? And Mordecai says, I'm not bound down because I'm Jewish. I don't bow down. So, so you're Jewish? What does that have to do with it? I'm Jewish. I don't bow down. So they went to, to Haman, and they said, see that man over there, Mordecai? You may not know this, but he's not bowing down when you come by. Really? You know why? Why? He says he's a Jew and he doesn't bow down. Really? Well, I don't like that one bit. 
I am number two on the all-time list here. And when I walk out, I expect everybody to bow down. I don't care whether he's a Jew or not. So when, verse 4 says, when they had spoken to him daily, that he would not listen to them, they went to Mordecai to see, I mean, they went to Haman to see whether Mordecai's reason would stand, for he told them he was a Jew. Now let me say something. This seems to be, if Mordecai is saying, because I'm a Jewish person, I'm not bowing down, this could be the first time Mordecai's had any stand at all for anything. I mean, think about it. There's no record of him keeping and observing any of the Mosaic laws. He didn't return to Israel when he had the chance to return to Israel. And he even kept a secret that Esther was Jewish. But suddenly, because he's a Jew, he's not going to bow down. Could it be that he's got to the point that he says, you know, I've messed around long enough. I'm one of God's people. And I've decided that I'm going to stand for truth. Who knows? It's easy for us as believers not to stand for truth. I mean, we live in a fallen world, and it's so easy just to kind of blend in, and we, we, we say, well, I'd never cheat there, but I would cheat here. Or, you know, Jesus is my Savior, but the rest of the week I just live any way I want to. And, I mean, sometimes it's just so easy for us to fit into the culture. That's what Mordecai has been doing all these years. How are we supposed to live? You thought about that. How are we as those who name the name Jesus Christ, who belong to Christ, who have trusted Christ as Savior, how are we supposed to live? I want to remind you of something. That salvation costs us absolutely nothing. It is a gift. We are saved by grace through faith, that we don't do good works to go to heaven. We don't keep doing good works to go to heaven. We believe in Jesus Christ as our Savior, and we're saved forever. Salvation costs us nothing. But discipleship, Living for Jesus Christ costs us our lives. When we say, Lord, I want my life to count for you. I want to live for you. And the great truth is this. I hope every one of you in this room have trusted Jesus Christ as Savior, and you have eternal life, and it costs you absolutely nothing. You are saved by grace through faith plus nothing. It's not going to church or anything. You have eternal life as a gift. But as one who has trusted Jesus Christ as Savior, what are we doing with our lives do we want our lives to count for Christ? And that's where discipleship comes in. And there's a great passage in Romans where he says, I offer your lives as living sacrifices. Stop being conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. As believers, we have the gift of eternal life, which costs us nothing. But then to live for Christ is going to cost us our lives. I hope and pray that not only you have eternal life by faith in Christ, but you as a child of God, as one who has eternal life, decides that you will live for Christ. It looks like Mordecai has decided to do something. He's going he's to stand up and say, I'm Jewish, and this is the way it is. Watch what happens. We've seen that Mordecai seems to be standing. Look at verse 5. When Haman saw that Mordecai neither bowed down nor paid homage to him, Haman was filled with rage. It's called pride. It's called pride. Caused the fall of Satan, caused the fall of man. You know, what a, you know what a really big man does? A really big man ignores that. A small man gets upset. See, if Haman really was a great leader, he wouldn't care. He'd say, ah, it's your loss. I don't think I'm going to be promoting you. But that is, that, you know. But he is so filled with rage because this one man will not pay him respect. 
So when Haman saw that Mordecai, verse 5, neither bowed down nor paid homage to him, Haman was filled with rage. You know what Haman was saying? You're making me look bad. I mean, when I walk out these doors, all these people are bowing down and they're going to me like, you're great, and you're standing up over there, and you're not showing me the respect that I'm supposed to get because I'm number two on the list, and I don't like it one bit. That's what he's doing. So what's he going to do? What's he going to do? Verse 6. He disdained to lay hands on Mordecai alone, for they had told him who the people of Mordecai were. Therefore Haman sought to destroy all the Jews, the people of Mordecai, who were throughout the whole kingdom of Ahasuerus. Now listen, when he gets mad, he says, so that guy's Jewish? Well, I tell you what, I'm not going to kill just him. I'm going to kill every one of his people. I will kill every Jew that lives not only here, but throughout the 127 provinces of the Medo-Persian Empire. I'm going to kill them all. Does that sound familiar to you? People always wanted to kill the Jewish people? Think about it. Think back to Egypt. What was the plan? Kill all the boy babies, intermarry the girls, and it's all over. No more Jews. Or think about the Syrians. When the Syrians took over, you know what they did? When the Syrians came in, they took all the Jewish people, killed most of them, took them off to land, left the remaining ones, and brought in people to intermarry with them so they wouldn't be Jews anymore. That's what the plan was. Look at Haman. What's his plan? His plan is to kill every Jew. There's a man coming in history a few years after this named Antiochus Epiphanes IV, 173 B.C., and his plan is to eliminate Jewish people. And he comes into the cities, and he came into Jerusalem, and he took all the women, and he killed their babies, and hung them around their neck, and then killed their husbands. That's what he did. His name was Antiochus Epiphanes IV. And then what did Hitler try to do? What was Hitler's plan? I'm going to eliminate all the Jewish people. I'm not, not just Jewish. I'm going, to, I'm going to eliminate anyone that doesn't measure up to my race, my Aryan race, what I think we are. But if there's somebody that's this and somebody that's this but those Jews... I'm going to kill every one of them. And he killed six million. Six million. Why do you think after World War II that the world gave Israel their land back? Do you know since 1890-something, they were trying to get it. Theodore Herschel tried to get the land back. And right before World War I, they were promised in the Balfour Declaration and the White Papers, they were promised a land. And then World War I happened. And after World War I happened, they all forgot about it. And the Jewish people from World War I to World War II kept saying, where's our land, where's our land? And they said, we changed our mind. But after World War II, six million Jews were killed. The world said, we got to do something. That's why, they gave, that's why they set them a land. That's God's working in all these events. Why would Satan be behind the plan to eliminate the Jew? We know that God's chosen people. That has nothing to do with salvation, by the way. Salvation is by faith. Jewish person, because he's Jewish, isn't saved. He's a chosen person, chosen from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob. That doesn't save people. It's God chooses them for a purpose. Why did he choose the Jewish people? Two things. To give us the Word of God. The Bible is a Jewish book. And to give us the Messiah. Jesus Christ is Jewish. He is the Savior of the world. So look what happened. Look at verse 7. In the first month, which is the month of Nisan, in the twelfth year of King Ahasuerus, Pur, that is the lot, was cast before Haman from day to day, from month to month, until the twelfth month, that is the month Adar. Now, there's what he did. Without talking to anybody, they, see, the, these people were very superstitious. And the, the, the uh, Persian word 
per means lot. You know what a lot is? A lot is like a piece of wood or something or, 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 a, or a stone or something and you cast it out and you can tell things. They'd say, okay, and you throw something out. Should we go do this? Yes or no? Well, they had a little deal that they would spin and they would cast and, it, and, he, and he said, let's pick a day to kill all the Jews. And he cast the per, the lot, Purim is plural, lots, and he cast it, and it came up to the 12th month of the year. We're going to find out it was actually the 13th day of the 12th month. And he decides that on the 13th day of the 12th month, he's going to kill every Jew. How's he going to happen? How's he going to do that? Because he, what's, how's he going to do this? Notice, notice something. He hasn't received permission from the king. He's never even talked to the king about this. So what's he going to do? He's going to go see the king, and he's going to do two things. He's going to cast suspicion, and he's going to give money. Well, let's look first as he casts suspicion, okay? Watch. Look at the next verse. Haman said to King Ahasuerus, There is a certain people scattered and dispersed among the peoples in all the provinces of your kingdom. Their laws are different from those of other people, and they do not observe the king's law, so it is not in the king's interest to let them remain. Notice he says there are certain people. He didn't even tell them who they are. He says, King, there's a group of people in your kingdom. Their laws are different. That's true. They do not obey our laws. That was false. They obeyed the laws. And so he made it up, and he said, There are people living in your land that are different and it's not in your best interest for them to remain and then he says if it's pleasing to the king let it be de decreed that they be destroyed write a decree remember the, me the, the laws of the Medes and Persians what? cannot be changed if the decree goes out to destroy all the Jews what's going to happen? they're going to destroy all the Jews because laws of the Medes and Persians could not be changed we've already seen it in the book so he says, if it's pleasing the king, let the decree that they be destroyed. And then here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give money. I'm going to give money. He says, I will pay 10,000 talents of silver into the hands of those who carry on the king's business to put in the king's treasury. He says, I'm going to give money. See, that's a large sum of money, by the way. It's like a million. And the king, if you remember, they had gone to war and lost, so he needed money. And to carry out a decree to kill all the Jews... Who's going to pay for all that? Haman says, I'll pay for it. So he said to the king, there's some people in here that are, they don't keep the laws, they're bad, they need to die, and I'll pay for it. So look what he did. Then the king took his signet ring from his hand, gave it to Haman, the son of Hamathathah, the Agite, the enemy of the Jews. The king said to Haman, silver's yours, people also do with them as you please. Now he took off his signet ring which meant he has the authority. From that moment on when Haman puts on that ring he can make a decree, put that thing on there, it has the king's signature basically and it means it becomes law. He said here's my ring, make it a law. Notice what? He doesn't even ask who they are. He doesn't say who these people are. How important is a life? Listen to this. Next slide. Genesis 1, 26, 27. The man is created how? In the image of God. How valuable are you? You're created in the image of God. Psalm 139. That you were created and formed and planned and loved by God. He created you. 
You understand that you are a creation of God. People always talk about how God created the heavens and the earth in six days. And they say that's when God created and he's through creating. No, God's not through creating. Every human being is created by God. How valuable is a life? Each person is valuable and unique. In fact, Jesus Christ died for every human being, 1 John 2, 2. So how do you view people? How do you view others? Do you view them as valuable or not? Let me ask you something. How do you view the unborn? Our culture says unborn, not even a person. We won't even count them. How do you view the aged? Well, they've had their time. They've had their time. Maybe they just go sit in the corner over there and leave us alone because we've got a lot of things we want to do and exhorted in the way. How do you view the poor? The people that come to you and say, we don't have enough. Well, I'm sorry. How do you view them? How about the uneducated? Because, see, we live in a college town. We go to college. We're smart. But some people don't. So they're not as good, right? How do we view people? Is every person valuable? Young or old? Educated or uneducated? Rich or poor? Is every person valuable? King Ahasuerus says, they're not. I don't even know who they are, but kill them because I'm getting some money from this deal. So look what happened. The king said to Haman, The silver is yours, the people also do with them as you please. And the king's crimes were summoned on the thirteenth day. Notice, on the thirteenth day of the first month, it was written just as Haman commanded the king's satraps to the governors who were over every province, to the princes of the people, each province according to its script, each people according to its language, being written in the name of King Ahasuerus and sealed with the king's signet ring. This guy wrote the note, kill all the Jewish people and everything, da 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 and he put the king's signet ring on it. The king didn't even know who it is. He didn't even know anything about it. He didn't even know who the people are. He didn't care. This message has gone throughout the, the known world. Now let me tell you something. We have a message that's supposed to be gone throughout the world. And that's the message of Jesus Christ. We have a message that we're to proclaim <clears throat> in this community starting here and throughout the world. So look what's going to happen. Verse 13. Letters were sent by couriers to all the king's provinces to do what? To destroy, to kill, to annihilate all Jews both young and old, women and children, on one day. It's the 13th day of the 12th month, which is the month Adair, and to seize their possessions. This is happening on the 13th day of the first month. It's exactly 11 months. From 11 months from this day, every Jewish person will be killed. What if, what if a decree went out from our government that said anyone who believed in Jesus Christ on March 5th, everyone will be killed. Anyone who claimed to be a Christian will be killed on March 5th. And the decree went out. Posted everywhere. Posted the post office. Posted all over. Posted everywhere. On the newspaper. Everywhere. How would we feel? What would we think? Now, a decree has gone out that every Jewish person in all of the world would be killed 11 months from that day. 11 months. It doesn't matter whether you're a woman or a man or you're old or young or whether you're a child. You're a, it doesn't make any difference. Wipe them out. Now, if this comes true, where will the Messiah come from? 
If this comes true, where will Jesus come from? He can't, Jesus is Jewish. The Messiah is descendant of King David. What if there aren't anybody for the Messiah to come through? Well, look what happened. A copy of the edict to be issued as law in every province was published to all the peoples so that they could be ready for that day. Everybody knows you've got 11 months to get ready to kill, annihilate, and destroy all Jews. That's what the wording was. The wording was to destroy, to kill, and to annihilate, and to take their possessions. You kill them and get their stuff. Jewish person lives in that house. We go there. We kill them all, drag them out, take all their stuff, burn the house down. That's the plan. That happened, you know. That happened. That happened. That's happened in our history. That's happened in Europe. Under Hitler, people would go into the homes. They would drag the people. They would put them in the ghettos, and they would take every one of their possessions. And then they'd kill them. This is what Haman wants to do this time. Verse 15, the couriers went out, impelled by the king's command, while the decree was being issued at the citadel in Susa, and while the king and Haman sat down to drink, the city of Susa was in confusion. Now, why 11 months? Why was it 11 months? Some say that so the Jews would leave and Haman would get their property, but where are they going to go? This is a decree for every country, every province. Others say it's God's providence, giving him time to work his plan. You know why the city's in confusion? What if a decree went out in our country that all Muslims in the United States would be killed for their religion? We'd go, oh, I don't know. I don't know about that. Why? Because if they're going to kill all the Muslims, what would stop them from killing all the Christians? What would stop them from killing all the Hindus? See, when people get all upset and they say, they shouldn't have the right to do that. If they don't have the right to do that, we don't have the right to do it. So be real careful when we want to say, those people in Oklahoma City couldn't have their satanic meeting. Then we can't have our meeting. Be real careful when we start wanting everybody to limit somebody else. Because let me tell you, I read a story of a guy who said, well, they... They came for the Jews, and I didn't say anything because I wasn't Jewish. And, and then they came for this, and, I, and then they came for the Presbyterians, and I wasn't a Presbyterian. Then they came for me, and there was nobody else to stand for me. So why is the city in confusion? Because they know if they're fixing to kill all the Jews, other people look around and go, what's going to stop them from killing us? What a story. It's a sad time right this second. A decree has gone out to kill every Jewish person. That includes who? Who in the story? Esther. Does the king know that? Does the king know that his queen is Jewish? He doesn't even know anything about it. He doesn't even know who the people are that are going to be killed. Does Haman know that the queen is Jewish? Does anybody know that the queen is Jewish? Not Just a few. So we're going to see how this turns out. You're going to love this story. Okay. Let's get some applications. Let's realize the value of every person. Every person's life is valuable. Everybody is created in the image of the living God. In Psalm 139, he made us. He plans our lives. So two things. A, protect life. Protect life. Protect all life. Not just some life. Protect all life because all life is valuable. 
do what we can do to protect them. B, proclaim the message of salvation in Christ because that's, the, that's what every human being needs. They need to know the way of salvation by faith alone in Christ alone. Second, let's stand for Christ as disciples. Let's make a stand. Let's live for Christ. Maybe Mordecai's finally doing that. We don't know. You can't really tell so much about it from the book. You just can't tell. But maybe he is. And let's, let's do this. Let's offer our lives. Let's stand for Christ and say, I want my life to count for Jesus Christ. He has given me as a gift eternal life now. I want to live for him and to make an impact for him. Let's do that. We don't want to be conformed to this world. We want to be transformed by the word of God. And last but not least, we're going to have to trust God in the events of our lives even to bad times. If you were Jewish and you lived at this time, what would you think? You got what? 11 months and then you're going to be dead. And everything that you've ever had, every bit of your family, every bit of your possessions, everything is going to be gone and the government is allowing it. But you got to trust him. You got to trust him. Next week, chapter 4, you see, what, what, you see what Mordecai says, and it's one of the most famous passages in the Bible.